And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Hans Vogt. Hi, Dan. And Hans, it's great to have you here. I believe you're watching the kids today, so you couldn't come over to the studio, but it's uh, great to have you on the phone, so thanks a lot for joining me. Anytime. Now, um, in the news recently, we've been hearing more and more about Syria. And in fact, uh, yesterday there was an announcement, kind of a long announcement or analysis made by Secretary of State Kerry, and he talked about Syria and the evidence of chemical weapons being used against the people. And I'm just wondering uh, what you have observed about Syria and that conflict, and uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about that today, since this is such a kind of an urgent matter in the news. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it's obviously um, the, the, the news and the videos coming out of Syria with regard to this um, chemical weapons attack, you know, is very disturbing. Uh, and it appears that, you know, over 1,400 people were killed uh, back on August 21st, uh, most likely by uh, the Syrian government. Uh, of course, everybody, both sides in this civil war in Syria deny that they did it and blame the other, but uh, it does seem like most of the evidence points to the government of Bashir al-Assad being responsible for this. Mm-hmm. If you were to characterize the two sides of the conflict, I'm almost cautious to put it in those terms, but um, are there at least two groups, and what? Right, let's put a name to them. I mean, who are these two groups that are fighting against each other there in Syria? Right, well, what we've got going on in Syria and, and have for two years here is basically a civil war. Uh, and you have rebel groups which are trying to overthrow the government of Bashar al-Assad. Uh, and really, um, you know, the United States government and other Western powers like Britain and France and so forth have been watching and really not sure how to get involved because it's, a, it's a really a Hobson's choice. I mean, the, the Assad government in Syria is certainly um, not a democratic regime. Uh, it has the backing of Russia, which maintains a major base in Syria, which it has had since Cold War times, uh, and also has support from Iran, the government of Iran, and Hezbollah, which is the Iranian-backed terrorist group that operates out of Syria and Lebanon. So not exactly groups that we'd want to be associated with. Uh, on the other hand, the rebel groups have, uh, there's a number of different insurgent groups, so it's not that there's one necessarily rebel group, but a number of them do have direct ties to al-Qaeda, mm. which of course is also not a group that we want to have anything to do with. So it's not clear how to pick sides when neither side is uh, one we'd care to be associated with or one that we'd want to see win this war. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The notion of going to war is, is oh, it's such a serious thing. Um, and I know you and I feel that um, it should not be taken lightly and that there is um, a proper procedure uh, in going to war. And also there's this Christian concept of a just war. And before our break, I'm wondering if you can just um, remind us, uh, at least in our constitutional republic, how is it supposed to be done when there is a need to go to war? Right. 
Well, I mean, the Constitution, uh, of course, uh, declares the President of the United States to be the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. Uh, but the Constitution gives the power to declare war uh, to the Congress. It's one of the enumerated powers of uh, Congress in Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution. And that's part of the whole checks and balances system that was built into the Constitution as a whole, that, uh, so that the president is not supposed to be able to unilaterally take the country to war, um, even though he is commander-in-chief, he is supposed to go to Congress, make a case to Congress for why he thinks war is necessary, and then the people's representatives in the House and Senate are supposed to vote on that and uh, agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the last time that was done was World War II. It was that long ago. I, I thought we had talked about that, and I seem to recall. I'm glad you mentioned that. Congress has not officially declared war since we declared war on, on Germany and Japan in World War II. Mm-hmm. And, and before our break, I, I want to touch on this quickly. Um, there seemed to be an illusion in, in Mr. Kerry's speech of um, almost like an equivalency between other um, other wartime atrocities against a people in the previous World War. He, he named the use of gas um, and what's happening right now in Syria. And I sat there thinking, wait a minute, there's a huge difference between what has happened in the past and what we see happening right now in Syria. And maybe I'm mistaken there. Could you could you help us kind of put this into perspective, maybe? How big of a deal is it that's happening in Syria right now as compared to um, the other tragedies that occurred during World War One, World War Two? Right. I mean, certainly, uh, anytime you're you're talking about chemical weapons, you're talking about um, horrific, uh, absolutely horrific violence and, and death. Uh, it's, of course, been outlawed since World War One. Uh, most countries are signatories to uh, you know Geneva Conventions, which outlaw the use of, of chemical weapons because it's so horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, these are weapons which can kill in horrible ways without leaving any visible signs on the body uh, externally. Okay. Um, and we're talking about targeting people who are, you know, uh, appear at least to have been uh, innocent. We're talking about children mm-hmm. uh, in many cases. And, and so it's absolutely horrific. The question, though, of whether the United States should go to war over this um, is a different question. Uh, and, and it, you know, and this would get back, of course, into, you know, we've talked in the past about just war theory, but is there a direct threat to the United States here and its people? Are there direct interests involved here that are, are threatened? Is there no alternative to war in this case? Those are the questions that really need to be answered before we go rushing in and, and sending cruise missiles or planes into bomb. Mm-hmm. And you're going to help us um, resolve all of those questions after our break. Well, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, we will take a short break. Today we're talking about the Syrian situation. On the phone line with me is Dr. Hans Vogt, professor, Ulster County Community College. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Today we're talking about the Syrian situation. Yesterday in the news, perhaps you've seen, um, our Secretary of State Kerry gave a fairly lengthy speech detailing the tragedies that are occurring in Syria in the use of uh, poisonous gas and the killing of uh, men, women, and children. About uh, 1,400 people, I believe, died, Hans, you mentioned, on August the 21st. So um, one of the questions that comes to mind, though, is, um, is it appropriate that the United States gets involved in this controversy? We talked about the two sides, and I guess there may even be more sides, of the controversy and the people involved, Um, Assad and essentially siding with him is Russia. Also, on the other side would be Al-Qaeda. And and, uh, neither of these groups are um, pro-America. Neither of these groups are Christian groups, you know. Um, Are we supposed to be the world's policemen here in the United States of America? Well, that's certainly the role the U.S. uh, has assigned itself. Um, and this really goes back to the end of World War II uh, and the beginning of the Cold War. And, you know, the situation at the end of World War II was basically that the traditional great powers like Great Britain and France and Germany had been just exhausted by the war. And even mm-hmm. though Britain and France were on the winning side, they were still exhausted. They really were not great powers anymore. And uh, basically the U.S. and the, at the time, Soviet Union, today Russia were really the only two great powers standing. And um, the United States government basically assigned to itself this new role of being a global policeman, and sometimes the phrase leader of the free world uh, was used. Yes. But basically this is a role we've taken on, and it creates an endless series of crises like this, where 
uh, tragedy is taking place, genocide is taking place, horrific crimes uh, against humanity are taking place. When do you choose to intervene and when do you not? You know, the U.S. did not intervene, for example, in Rwanda when a, several years ago when a horrific, horrific genocide took place. So if you intervene now in a place like Syria, what would be the difference, right? Yeah. And so it, it, it creates an endless number of these kinds of crises, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of assuming that you're not in favor of the United States playing world policemen. Well, you know, there are certainly times and places where the United States should intervene when mm-hmm. when national interests are at stake, when the the United States itself is being threatened. Um, but to intervene in every local conflict around the world is, I don't think, an appropriate role for the U.S. to play. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about something too. If um, suppose someone is totally convinced that we should be the world's policemen in every case, um, it begs some questions, and one of which that comes to my mind is um, a policeman seems to have a standard of right and wrong, seems to have some kind of an agreed-upon law uh, or laws uh, by which to judge and the ability to judge, make a decision, and therefore uh, arrest someone or or reprimand someone or or whatever. Um, I do wonder a, at this point in our nation's history, um, if we were to continue in this role of the world's policeman, uh, what is our standard now? I mean, it used to be something that was the Judeo-Christian ethic, I believe. But mm-hmm. what is the standard now? You know, that's a very good question, and, you know, the the bottom line answer, I think, is that there really is no standard. Mm. I mean, there is this nebulous idea of international law, and which has some basis. I mean, certainly the U.S. is signatory to treaties, like the Geneva Conventions, like uh, NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, a pledge to defend, you know, member nations of NATO. Um, there are agreements through the United Nations. Um, that we are a party to and, and that do provide some legal basis. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the reality, as we all know, is that you can twist the words of a treaty or, or a law or whatever to justify whatever you want to do. You still have to make that moral decision whether or not this is justified. Mm. Yes, and, and before I move on to uh, talking more about that moral decision, um, you did mention one thing that I that resonated with me, no pun intended, being in radio, um, that of the U.S. being threatened or us having a direct attack. Then, to me, it becomes a lot more clear that we need to act militarily, right? Right. Yeah, okay. And I don't think you can make that case here, certainly. I mean, th- there were no U.S. citizens who right. were killed in this attack. Um, you know, the U.S. has not been directly targeted or its citizens targeted. Um, and so you, you can't make the case. Uh, now, our allies in the region have been uh, hit. Uh, both Turkey and Israel have taken some rocket fire um, uh, in, the, in the course of the conflict over the past year or so. So, um, 
but not anything to the level where you could call it an invasion of Israel or an invasion of Turkey, mm-hmm. um, which would you know invoke the the mutual defense uh, treaties that we have with those nations. Yeah. Well, here now is um, another kind of a touchy subject, but uh, but we got to raise it. Um, Americans or some some Americans, not many maybe, but some are outraged by the release of this chemical weapon against the citizenry of of Syria. And and terrible tragedies, of course, have occurred. We can see the footage. Um, I'm troubled, however. Um, we've heard that there's some 1,400 people that have been killed. And um, I cannot resist talking about something that's occurring here in the United States of America that in just yesterday alone took about 3,300 lives. And I'm just going to throw that out there. Any idea what I'm talking about? Abortion. Yes, exactly. Abortion. Mm -hmm. And um, I know this is a sensitive subject because um, some people, some women, feel trapped. Uh, Perhaps they got pregnant and feel it was... They had no choice, maybe inadequate finances, or they weren't ready for the responsibility. Um, their lives would have changed too much, or or they were too young, too immature. Whatever the concern was, nevertheless, a human life was murdered. It was taken. And um, I'm wondering if we can talk about that just a little bit here. It. That this question is begged by this whole scenario here in Syria. Right. I mean, the reality is, and it's, it's a very sad and, and grim reality, um, that, you know, in the United States of America, we uh, are guilty, I think is the right word, of um, considerably over one million abortions per year. Right. Uh, and we have been for years and years since 1970. You know, three when it was legalized, mm-hmm. uh, and so this is a a, uh, a genocide um, that has been going on for several decades now, uh, whose numbers stretch into the uh, tens of millions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's fair to ask, where's the outrage? Where's the calls for intervention to do something ab- uh, about this, which is far far greater? Uh, than the tragic loss of life we've seen in Syria. Well, it is, and and it's and it's closer to home. It's right. it's our own citizenry, um, and you're right. Since 1973, I think the number is on the order of 50 million uh, people have right. been terminated. Where is the outrage? I mean, what has happened to our sensibility? Uh, this is. I don't think you have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a very smart person even to see that the little baby in its mother's womb is entirely helpless. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that there was a lot of citizens over there, 1,400 probably, that were pretty helpless on the ground. But, but, I mean, they were outside the womb. When we talk about an unborn baby, uh, you can't get more helpless than that. And it, it's, you know, I think it's a combination of factors. You know, certainly, um, in one sense, the victims of abortion are invisible, in that most mm. people aren't going to see the ultrasounds, uh, if there are ultrasound pictures of those, uh, of those babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's, in that way, it's not 
flashed across the news or across the um, you know World Wide Web the way that uh, the videos of the Syria uh, gas attacks yes. have been performed. But it's also got to do with uh, again the issue of convenience because you know when you look at the statistics and when you look at the reasons that are given for choosing to have an abortion mm-hmm. uh, it, you know focus tends to be for those who support abortion uh, on the issues of, of health or rape uh, and and those very dramatic things the reality is that only about 12 percent of women list uh, a medical problem or health concern as a reason for having an abortion mm-hmm. only one percent report being a survivor of rape that's true it, it is I've heard virtually that. all a matter of convenience mm. uh three-fourths say that it would interfere with work or school or other responsibilities three-fourths say it, they can't afford it um half say they don't want to be a single parent uh and and i'm, I'm again I, I don't want to downplay the the problems of finances or being a single parent and so forth. But the point is they're not being aborted for life and death reasons. They're being aborted for reasons of convenience. Mm, that's so true. Well, at least I got that off my chest and thank you for filling in some of the details there. Today we're talking about Syria and uh, yesterday Secretary of State Kerry um, shared with the American populace um, the horrific attacks that have taken place in Syria by the Assad regime against the citizens using poisonous gas. And indeed, it's, it's terrible. But uh, like we discussed before, is this sufficient reason and cause to drive us into war? Uh, there's two uh, factions in Syria, neither of which are very friendly to the United States of America. Would it be morally right to go over there and bomb these people or bomb their facilities? Um, this is a, a very troubling question. I, I see we're just about out of time today, uh, Hans, uh, for this edition of A Plain Answer. Just uh, maybe a minute or so, closing thoughts uh, as we consider the situation of Syria. Well, I think you have to look at it from the standpoint uh, as well of not only from the standpoint of our national interest, but also from the standpoint of what is best for the Syrian people. Um, and we should not lose sight of the fact that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria. Amen. And the Syrian Christians, like the Christians in Egypt, are really the ones caught in the crossfire between these opposing hmm. uh, uh, groups. And so we need to be in, in prayer for them. We need to be uh, lifting them up to the Lord, I think, and, and praying for their protection and right. their encouragement. But we also need to think about what is it that we want to accomplish. Um, it sounds like the government is not talking about intervening full-scale on one side or the other. They keep talking about surgical or limited strikes. To ask, what does that accomplish? Yeah. Um, so you bomb a few buildings, so you take out a few sites. Um, is it going to deter the Syrian government? Is it really going to change things on the ground in Syria? I don't see any clear indication that it no, will. No, and, you know, to go to any kind of action like this, you need to have very crisp, clear goals and plans and contingencies. And exactly. So far, I haven't seen anything like that. Exactly. Um, you know, what I've seen is a disaster on the economic front where there's no goals, 
contingencies, proper plans or accountabilities? How could there be in in war? Uh, I I can't help uh, saying that. (laughs) Well, today we've been talking about Syria, probably much more to talk about. Hans, thank you so much for, um, at the spur of the minute, joining us today on the phone line. You're welcome. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. A quick reminder to join us again next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Also, this podcast is available on our website. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org.